3: Noah Feldman here. I'm excited to tell you about a special five-part deep background mini-series called Deep Bench. The first episodes will appear in your feed on Saturday, October 17th. The battle for the Supreme Court has become a huge issue in the presidential election. In many ways, it's a culmination of a conservative legal revolution spearheaded by the Federalist Society. Deep Bench is the inside story of how these legal conservatives gained power and how, at the height of their influence, they're actually in danger of splitting apart. But first, we're presenting an episode from Pushkin Industries' newest show, Brave New Planet. Every day, we see how powerful technologies are advancing at a breathtaking pace. They have amazing potential upsides. But if we're not careful, some might leave us a lot worse off. In Brave New Planet, Dr. Eric Lander and his guests weigh the pros and cons of a wide range of powerful innovations in science and technology. Dr. Lander directs the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. He was a leader of the Human Genome Project. For eight years, he served as a science advisor to President Obama's White House. In this episode, Dr. Lander explores deep fakes. Deep fakes can be useful in art, education, and therapy. But could they be weaponized to provoke international conflicts or swing elections? And where does the right to free speech fit in? Every episode of Brave New Planet will grapple with opportunities and challenges that are too big to fit in a tweet, but will shape our future. You can subscribe in Apple Podcasts. Here's the brilliant Eric Lander and Brave New Planet.
4: You're listening to Brave New Planet, a podcast about amazing new technologies that could dramatically improve our world. Or, if we don't make wise choices, could leave us a lot worse off. Utopia or dystopia? It's up to us.
1: off. we have a off. 32 minutes past the hour. up on Apollo
2: 11. On July 16th, 1969, Apollo 11 blasted off from the Kennedy Space Center near Cape Canaveral, Florida. 25 million Americans watched on television as the spacecraft ascended toward the heavens, carrying Commander Neil Armstrong, Lunar Module Pilot Buzz Aldrin, and Command Module Pilot Michael Collins. Their mission? To be the first humans in history to set foot on the moon. Four days later, On Sunday, July 20th, the lunar module separated from the command ship and soon fired its rockets to begin its lunar descent. Five minutes later, disaster struck. About a mile above the moon's surface, program alarms 1201 and 1202 sounded loudly, indicating that the mission computer was overloaded. And then, well... Every American knows what happened next.
5: Lost data flight. Good evening, my fellow Americans.
2: President Richard Nixon addressed a grieving nation.
5: Fates has ordained that the men who went to the moon to explore in peace will stay on the moon to rest in peace. These brave men, Neil Armstrong and Edwin Auburn, know that there is no hope for their recovery. But they also know that there is hope for mankind in their sacrifice.
2: He ended with the now famous words,
5: For every human being who looks up at the moon in the nights to come, will know that there is some corner of another world that is forever
2: mankind. Wait a minute! (laughs) That never happened! The Moon mission was a historic success. The three astronauts returned safely to ticker-tape parades and a celebratory 38-day world tour. Those alarms actually did sound, but they turned out to be harmless. Nixon never delivered that speech. His speechwriter had written it, but it sat in a folder labeled, "In Event of Moon Disaster. Until now. The Nixon you just heard is a deep fake, part of a seven-minute film created by artificial intelligence deep learning algorithms. The fake was made by the Center for Advanced Virtuality, at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology as part of an art exhibit to raise awareness about the power of synthesized media. Not long ago, something like this would have taken a lot of time and money. But now it's getting easy. You can make new paintings in the style of French Impressionism, revive dead movie stars, help patients with neurodegenerative disease, or soon maybe take a class on a tour of ancient Rome. But as the technology quickly becomes democratized, we're getting to the point where almost anyone can create a fake video of a friend, an ex-lover, a stranger, or a public figure that's embarrassing, pornographic, or perhaps capable of causing international chaos. Some argue that in a culture where fake news spreads like wildfire and political leaders deny the veracity of hard facts, deep fake media may do a lot more harm than good. Today's big question. Will synthesized media unleash a new wave of creativity? Or will it erode the already tenuous role of truth in our democracy? And is there anything we can do to keep it in check? My name is Eric Lander. I'm a scientist who works on ways to improve human health. I helped lead the Human Genome Project, and today I lead the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard. In the 21st century, powerful technologies have been appearing at a breathtaking pace related to the internet, artificial intelligence, genetic engineering, and more. They have amazing potential upsides. But we can't ignore the risks that come with them the decisions aren't just up to scientists or politicians. Whether we like it or not, we, all of us, are the stewards of a brave new planet. This generation's choices will shape the future as never before. Coming up on today's episode of Brave New Planet, I speak with some of the leaders behind advances in synthesized media. You could certainly, by the way,
0: generate stories that could be fresh and interesting and new and personal for every
6: child. We got emails from people who were quadriplegic and they asked us if we could make them dance.
2: We hear from experts about some of the frightening ways that bad actors can use deep fakes.
7: Redditors would chime in and say, you can absolutely make a deep fake sex video of your ex with 30 pictures. I've done it with 20.
8: Here's the things that keep me up at night, right? Uh, a video of Donald Trump saying, I've launched nuclear weapons against Iran. And before anybody gets around to figuring out whether this is real or not, we're, we have a global nuclear meltdown.
2: And we explore how we might prevent the worst abuses. It's important
9: that younger people advocate for the internet that they want. We have to fight for it. We have to ask for different things.
2: Stay with us.
4: Chapter One. Abraham Lincoln's Head. To begin
2: to understand the significance of deepfake technology, I went to San Francisco to speak with a world expert on synthetic media.
6: My name is uh, Alexey, uh, or sometimes called Alyosha uh, Efros, and I'm a professor at UC Berkeley in Computer Science uh, and Electrical Engineering Department. My research is on um, computer vision, computer graphics, uh, machine learning, various aspects of artificial intelligence.
2: Where'd you grow up?
6: Uh, I grew up in St. Petersburg in Russia. I was one of those geeky kids, uh, playing around with computers or dreaming about computers. My first computer was actually the first Soviet personal computer.
2: So you actually are involved in making sort of synthetic content, synthetic media? That's right. Alexei has invented powerful artificial intelligence tools, but his lab also has a wonderful ability to use computers to enhance the human experience. I was struck by a remarkable video on YouTube created by his team at Berkeley.
6: So this was a project that actually was done by uh, my students who didn't even think of this as anything but a silly little toy project of trying to see if we could get a geeky computer science student to move like a ballerina.
2: In the video, one of the students, Carolyn Chan, dances with the skill and grace of a professional, despite never having studied ballet.
6: The idea is you take a source actor like a ballerina, there is a way to detect the limbs of the dancer, have a kind of a a skeleton extracted, and also have my student just move around and do some geeky moves. And now we're basically just going to try to synthesize the appearance of my student, driven by the skeleton of the ballerina. Put it all together, and then we have our grad student dancing pirouettes like a, like a ballerina. Through
2: artificial intelligence, Carolyn's body is puppeteered by the dancer.
6: We weren't even going to publish it, but we just released a, a video on YouTube called Everybody Dance Now, and somehow it really touched a nerve
2: While there's been an explosion recently in new ways to manipulate media, Alexei notes that the idea itself isn't new. It has a long history. I can't help but ask, given that you come from Russia, one of the premier users of doctoring photographs, I think, was Stalin, who who used the ability to manipulate images for political effect. How did they do that? Do you have, can you think of examples of this? And Like, what was the technology
6: then? The urge to change photographs has been around basically since the invention of photography. For example, there is a photograph of Abraham Lincoln that still hangs in many classrooms. That's fake. It's actually Calhoun with uh, Lincoln's head attached to it.
2: Alexei's referring to John C. Calhoun the South Carolina senator and champion of slavery. A Civil War portrait artist superimposed a photo of Lincoln's head onto an engraving of Calhoun's body because he thought Lincoln's gangly frame wasn't dignified enough.
6: And so they just said, "Okay, we can use Calhoun. Let's slap Lincoln's head on his body. And then, of course, as soon as you go into the 20th century, as soon as you get to dictatorships, This is a wonderful toy for a dictator to use. Uh, So again, Stalin was a big fan of this. He would get rid of people in photographs once they were out of favor or once they got jailed or killed. He would just basically get them scratched out with reasonably crude techniques.
2: Hitler did it, Mao did it, Castro did it, Brezhnev
6: did
8: it. I'm sure U.S. Uh, agencies have done it also. We have always manipulated images with a desire to change history.
2: This is Hani Farid. He's also a professor at Berkeley and a friend of
8: Alexei's. I'm a professor of computer science and I'm an expert in digital forensics.
2: Where Alexei works on making synthetic media... Hani has devoted his career to identifying when synthetic media
8: is being used to fool people,
2: that is, spotting fakes. He regularly collaborates on this mission with Alexei.
8: So I met Alyosha Efros 10, 20 years ago. He is a really incredibly creative and clever guy, and he has done what I consider some of the most interesting work in computer vision and computer graphics over the last two decades. And if you really want to do forensics well, you have to partner with somebody like Alyosha. You have to partner with a world-class mind who knows how to think about the synthesis side so that you can synthesize the absolute best content and then think about how to detect it. Um, I think it's interesting that if you're somebody on the synthesis side and developing the forensic, there's a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde there, and I think it's really fascinating.
2: You know, the idea of altering photos, it's not entirely new, how far back does this go?
8: So we, ha- we used to have, in the, d- the days of Stalin, highly talented, highly skilled, time-consuming, difficult process of manipulating images. Uh, removing somebody, erasing something from the image, um, splicing uh, uh, faces together. And then we moved into the digital age, where now a highly talented digital artist could remove one face and add another face, but it was still a time-consuming and required skill.
2: In 1994, the makers of the movie Forrest Gump won an Oscar for visual effects for their representations of the title character interacting with historical figures like President John F. Kennedy.
5: Congratulations. How does it feel to be an All American? Very good, sir. Congratulations. How do you feel? I got a (laughs) pig. I believe he said he had to go pee.
8: Now, computers are doing all of the heavy lifting of what used to be relegated to talented artists. The average person now can use sophisticated technology to not just capture the recording, but also manipulate it and then distribute it.
2: The tools used to create synthetic media have grown by leaps and bounds, especially in the past few
8: years. And so now we have technology broadly called deep fake, but more specifically should be called synthesized content, um, where you point an image or a video or an audio to an AI or machine learning system, and it will replace the face for you. Um, And it can do that in an image, it can do that in a video, or it can synthesize audio for you in a particular person's voice.
2: It's become straightforward to swap people's faces. There's a popular YouTube video that features tech pioneer Elon Musk's adult face on a baby's body. And there's a famous meme where actor Nicolas Cage's face replaces those of leading movie actors, both male and female. You can put words into people's mouths and make them jump and dance and run. You can even resurrect powerful figures and have them deliver a fake speech about a fake tragedy from an altered
4: history. Chapter 2. Creating Nixon.
2: The text of Nixon's moon disaster speech that we heard at the top of the show is actually not fake. As I mentioned, it was written for President Nixon as a contingency speech and thankfully never had to be delivered.
10: It's an amazing piece of writing. It was written by Bill Sapphire, who was one of Nixon's speechwriters.
2: This is artist and journalist Francesca Panetta. She's the co-director of the Nixon Fake, or MIT's Moon Disaster Team. She's also the creative director in MIT's Center for Advanced Virtuality.
10: I was doing experimental journalism at The Guardian newspaper. I ran The Guardian's virtual reality studio for the last three years.
2: The second half of the Moon Disaster team is sound artist
11: Halsey Burgund. My name is Halsey Burgund. I'm a sound artist and technologist, and um, I've had a lot of experience with lots of sorts of uh, audio enhanced with technology, though this is my first experience with synthetic media, especially since I typically focus on authenticity of voice, and now I'm kind of doing the opposite. So together, Halsey and Francesca chose to automate a tragic moment
2: in history— That never actually happened.
11: Uh, I think it all started with it being the 50th anniversary of the moon landing last year. And and add on top of that, an election cycle in this country and dealing with misinformation, which is obviously very important in election cycles. It was like light bulbs went on and we uh, we got very excited about pursuing it.
2: It's possible to make mediocre fakes pretty quickly and cheaply. But Francesca and Halsey wanted high production values. So, how does one go about
10: making a first-rate fake presidential address? There are two components. There's the visuals, and there's the audio, and they are completely different processes. So, we decided to go with um, a video dialogue replacement company called Canny AI, who would do the visuals for us, and then we decided to go with ReSpeecher, who are um, a dialogue replacement company for the the voice of Nixon. They
2: tackled the voice first, the more challenging of the two mediums.
10: What we were told to do was to get two to three hours worth of Nixon talking. That was pretty easy because the Nixon Library has hours and hours of Nixon mainly giving Vietnam speeches.
5: The communist armies of North Vietnam launched a massive invasion of South Vietnam.
10: That audio was then chopped up into chunks between one and three seconds long. We found this incredibly patient actor called uh, Lewis D. Wheeler Lewis would listen to the one second clip and then he would um, repeat that
5: and do what I believe was right and do
11: what I believe was right
10: re speech would say to us things like we need to change the diagonal attention which meant nothing to us
11: yes we have a whole lot of potential band names going forward (laughs) diagonal attention yeah Synthetic Nixon is another good one.
10: So once we have our Nixon model made out of these thousands of tiny clips, it means that whatever our actor says will come out then in Nixon's voice. So then what we did was record the contingency speech of Nixon. And it meant that we got Lewis's actorly performance, but in Nixon's voice. What about the video part? I mean, the video was much easier. We're talking a couple of days here and a tiny amount of data. Just with Lewis's iPhone, we filmed him reading the contingency speech once, a couple of minutes of him just chatting to camera, and that was it. Fate
3: Fate has has ordained
11: that the men who went to the moon to to explore in explore in peace will stay stay on the moon moon to rest rest in peace.
10: peace. You know, we were told by canny AI that everything would be the same in the video apart from just the area around the mouth. So every gesture of the hand, every blink, every time he moved his face, all of that would stay the same, but just the mouth basically would change. So we used Nixon's resignation speech.
5: To have served in this office is to have felt a very personal sense of
10: It was the speech of Nixon that looked the most somber, where he seemed to have the most emotion in his face.
2: So what actually went on in the computer? Artificial intelligence sometimes sounds inscrutable, but the basic ideas are quite simple. In this case, it uses a type of computer program called an autoencoder. It's trained to take complicated things, say spoken sentences or pictures, encode them in a much simpler form, and then decode them to recover the original as best it can. The encoder tries to reduce things to their essence, throwing away most of the information, but keeping enough to do a good job of reconstructing it. To make a deep fake, here's the trick. Train a speech autoencoder for Nixon to Nixon and a speech autoencoder for actor to actor but force them to use the same encoder. Then you can input actor and decode it as Nixon. If you have enough data, it's a piece of cake. Around their carefully created video, the Moon Disaster team created an entire art installation, a 1960s living room with a fake vintage newspaper sharing the fake tragic news while a fake Nixon speaks solemnly on a vintage black-and-white television.
10: Some people, when they were watching the installation, they watched it a number of times. You'd see them, they'd watch it once, then they would watch it again, staring at the lips to see if they could see any lack of synchronicity. Um, We had some people who thought that perhaps Nixon had actually recorded this speech as a contingency speech for it to go onto television.
11: Lots of folks who were listening, viewing, and even press folks just immediately said, oh, the voice is real, or whatever, you know, said these things that weren't accurate because they just felt like there wasn't even a question, I suppose. That is what we wanted to achieve, but at the same time, it's, it was a little bit eye-opening and, like, a little scary, you know, that that could happen. Chapter
4: 3 Everybody Dance
2: What do you see as just the wonderful upsides of having technologies like this?
10: Yeah, I mean, AI and art is becoming a whole field in itself. So creatively, there is enormous potential.
11: One of the potential positive educational uses of deepfake technology would be to bring historical figures back to life, to make learning more durable. I think one could do that with bringing Abraham Lincoln back to life and having him deliver speeches.
10: Film companies are really excited about reenactments. We're already beginning to see this in films like Star Wars, um, when we're bringing people like Carrie Fisher back to life. I mean, that is at the moment not being done through deepfake technologies. This is using fairly traditional techniques of CGI at the moment. So we still have to see our first deepfake big cinema screen release. But this is just to come. Like, the technology is getting better and better
11: not only will we be able to potentially bring back actors and actresses who are no longer alive and have them star in movies but an actor could make a model of their own voice and then sell the use of that voice to anybody to do a voiceover of whatever is wanted and so they could have 20 of these going on at the same time and the sort of restriction of their physical presence is no longer there and That might mean that, you know, Brad Pitt is in everything (laughs) or it might uh, just mean that um, lower budget films can afford to have some of the higher cost talent at that point.
2: You know, the top 20 actors could just do everything.
11: Yes, there's no doubt that there will be winners and losers from these technologies. But the potential of synthetic
2: media goes way beyond the arts there are possible medical and therapeutic applications.
11: There are companies that are working very hard to um, allow people who have either lost their voice or who never had a voice to be able to speak in a way that is either how they used to speak or in a way that isn't a canned voice that everybody has.
2: Alexei Efros and his students discovered potential uses of synthetic media and medicine quite unintentionally while working on their Everybody Dance Now project that could turn anyone into a ballerina.
6: We were kind of surprised for all the positive feedback we got. We got emails from people who were quadriplegic and they asked us if we could make them dance. And, and uh, it, it was very unexpected. So now we are uh, trying to get the software to be in a state where people can use it because, uh, yeah, it, somehow it, it did hit a nerve with folks.
4: Chapter 4. Unicorns in the Andes. The past
2: few years have seen amazing advances in the creation of synthetic media through artificial intelligence. The technology now goes far beyond fitting one face over another face in a video. A recent breakthrough has made it possible to create entirely new and very convincing content out of thin air. The breakthrough, called Generative Adversarial Networks, or GANs came from a machine learning researcher at Google named Ian Goodfellow. Like autoencoders, the basic idea is simple but brilliant. Suppose you want to create amazingly realistic photos of people who don't exist. Well, you build a GAN consisting of two computer programs, a photo generator that learns to generate fake photos and a photo discriminator that learns to discriminate or identify fake photos from a vast collection of real photos. You then let the two programs compete, continually tweaking their code to outsmart each other. By the time they're done, the GAN can generate amazingly convincing fakes. You can see for yourself if you go to the website thispersondoesnotexist.com. Every time you refresh the page, you're shown a new uncanny image of a person who, as the website says, does not and never did exist. Francesca and I actually tried out the website.
10: This young Asian woman, she's, she's got great complexion, envious of that. Neat black hair with a fringe, pink lipstick, um, and a slightly dreamy look as she's kind of gazing off to her left.
2: Oh, here's a woman who looks like she could be a neighbor of mine in Cambridge. Probably about 65. She's got nice wireframe glasses, layered hair. Her earrings don't actually match, but that could just be her distinctive style. I mean, of course, she, she doesn't really exist. It's hard to argue that Gans aren't creating original art. In fact, an artist collective recently used a Gans to create a French Impressionist style portrait. When Christie's sold it at auction, it fetched an eye-popping $432,000. Alexei Efros, the Berkeley professor, recently pushed Gans a step further, creating something called Cycle Gans. By connecting two Gans together in a clever way, Cycle Gans can transform a Monet painting into what's seemingly a photograph of the same scene or turn a summer landscape into a winter landscape of the same view. Alexis' cycle gans seem like magic. If you were to add in virtual reality, the possibilities become mind-blowing.
6: You may be reminiscing about walking down uh, Boulevard Saint-Germain in Paris, and with a few clicks, you are there, and you're walking down the Boulevard, and you're looking at all the buildings, and maybe you can even switch to a different year and i think that is i think very exciting as a way to mentally travel to different places uh, so if you
2: do this in vr i mean mm-hmm. you imagine classes going on a class visit to ancient rome
6: that's right you could imagine from how a particular city like rome looks now trying to extrapolate how it looked in the past
2: it turns out that gans aren't just transforming images I spoke with a friend who's very familiar with another remarkable application of the technology.
0: Uh, my name is Reed Hoffman. I'm a podcaster of Masters of Scale. I'm a partner at Greylock, which is where we're sitting right now, uh, co-founder of LinkedIn, and then a variety of other eccentric hobbies.
2: Reed is a board member of an unusual organization called OpenAI.
0: OpenAI is, is highly concerned with artificial general intelligence, human level intelligence. I helped um, Sam Altman and Elon Musk stand it up. The basic concern was that if one company created and deployed that, that could be disbalancing in all kinds of ways. And so the thought is, if it could be created, we should make sure that there is essentially a nonprofit that is creating this and that they can make that technology available at selective time slices to industry as a whole, governments, etc. cetera.
2: Last year, OpenAI released a program that uses GANs to write language. From a short opening prompt, the system, called GPT-2, can spin a convincing article or story. Instead of a deepfake video, it's deepfake text. It's pretty amazing, actually. For example, OpenAI researchers gave the program the following prompt.
10: In a shocking finding, scientists discovered a herd of unicorns living in a remote, previously unexplored valley in the Andes Mountains. Even more surprising to the researchers was the fact that the unicorns spoke perfect English.
2: GPT-2 took it from there, delivering nine crisp paragraphs on the landmark discovery. I asked Fran to read a bit from the story.
10: Dr. Jorge Perez, an evolutionary biologist from the University of La Paz and several companions, were exploring the Andes Mountains when they found a small valley with no other animals or humans. Perez noticed that the valley had what appeared to be a natural fountain surrounded by two peaks of rock and silver snow. Perez and the others then ventured further into the valley, By the time we reached the top of one peak, the water looked blue with some crystals on top, said Perez. Perez and his friends were astonished to see the unicorn herd.
2: So tell me some of the great things you can do with language generation.
0: Well, say, for example, entertainment. Generate stories that could be fresh and interesting and new and personal for every child, embed educational things in those stories. So they're drawn into the fact that the story is involving them and their friends, but also now brings in grammar and, and math and other kinds of things as ways of doing it. Generate explanatory material of this kind of education that works best for this audience, for this kind of people. Like we want to have this kind of math or this kind of physics or this kind of history or this kind of poetry explained in the right way. And also the style of language, right? Like, you know, native City X language.
2: When OpenAI announced its breakthrough program for text generation, it took the unusual step of not releasing the full powered version. Because it was worried about the possible consequences.
0: Now, part of the OpenAI decision to say we're going to release a smaller model than the one we did is because we we think that the deepfake problem hasn't been solved. And by the way, some people complained about that because they said, well, you're slowing down our ability to do progress and so forth. The answer is, say, look, when these are released to the entire public, we cannot control the downsides as well as the
2: upsides. Downsides? From art to therapy to virtual time travel, personalized stories and education, synthetic media has amazing upsides. What could possibly go wrong?
4: Chapter 5. What Could Possibly Go Wrong?
2: The downsides are actually not hard to find. The ability to reshape reality brings extraordinary power. And people inevitably use power to control other people. It should be no surprise, therefore, that 96% of fake videos posted online are non-consensual pornography. Videos, almost always of women, manipulated to depict sex acts that never actually occurred. I spoke with a professor who studies deep fakes, including digital attempts
7: to control women's bodies. I'm Danielle Citrin, and I am a law professor at Boston University School of Law. I write about privacy technology automation. Uh, my newest work and my next book is going to be about sexual privacy. Um, so I've worked in and around consumer privacy, individual rights, civil rights. I write a lot about free speech uh, and then automated systems. When did you first
2: become aware of deep fakes? Do you remember when this crossed your radar?
7: I did. So and there was a Reddit thread devoted to you know, fake pornography movies of Gal Jadot, Emma Watson, but the Reddit thread sort of spooled not just from celebrities, but ordinary people. And so you had Redditors asking each other, How do I make a deep fake sex video of my ex girlfriend? I have 30 pictures. And then other Redditors would chime in and say, Look at this YouTube tutorial. You can absolutely make a deep fake sex video of your ex with 30 pictures. I've done it with 20. In November
2: 2017, An anonymous Redditor began posting synthesized porn videos under the pseudonym Deep Fakes, perhaps a nod to the deep learning technology used to create them, as well as the 1970s porn film Deep Throat. The Internet quickly adopted the term Deep Fakes and broadened its meanings beyond pornography. To create the videos, he used celebrity faces from Google Image Search and YouTube videos and then trains an algorithm on that content together with pornographic videos. Have you seen deep fake pornography videos? Yes.
7: So still pretty crude, so you probably can tell that it's a fake. But for the person who's inserted into pornography, it's devastating. You use the neural network technology, the artificial intelligence technology, to create out of digital whole cloth... Uh, pornography videos um, using probably real pornography and then inserting the person in the pornography. So they become the female actress. uh, If it's a female, it's usually a female um, in that video. My name is Noelle Martin,
12: and I am an activist and law reform campaigner in Australia.
2: Noelle is 26 years old, and she lives in Perth, Australia.
12: So... The first time that I discovered myself on pornographic sites was when I was 18 and, out of curiosity, decided to Google image reverse search myself. In an instant, like in a less than a millisecond, my life completely changed.
2: At first, it started with photos, still images stolen from Noelle's social media accounts.
12: They would then doctoring my face from ordinary images and superimposing those onto the bodies of women depicting me having sexual intercourse.
2: It proved impossible to identify who was manipulating Noelle's image in this way. It's still unclear today, which made it difficult for her to seek legal action.
12: I went to the police soon after. I contacted government agencies, try getting a private investigator essentially there's nothing that they could do the sites are hosted overseas the perpetrators are probably overseas the reaction was at the end of the day i think you can contact the webmasters to try and get things deleted you know you can adjust your privacy settings so that you know nothing is available to anyone publicly it was an unwinnable situation
2: then things started to escalate in 2018 Noelle saw a synthesized pornographic video of herself.
12: And I believe that it was done for the purposes of silencing me because I've been very public about my story and advocating for change. So I had actually got an email from a fake email address and, you know, I clicked the link. I was actually at work. It was... A video of me having sexual intercourse. The title had my name. The face of the woman in it was edited so that it was my face. And, you know, all the tags were like Noelle Martin, Australia, feminist. And it didn't look real, but. The context of everything with the title, with the, my face, with the tags, all points to me being depicted in this video.
2: The fakes were of poor quality, but porn consumers aren't a discriminating lot, and many people reacted to them as if they were real.
12: The public reaction was horrifying to, to me. I was victim blamed and slut shamed, and it's definitely limited the course of, of where I can go in terms of career and employment.
2: Noel finished a degree in law and began campaigning to criminalise this sort of content.
12: My advocacy and my activism started off because I had a lived experience of this and I experienced it at a time where it wasn't criminalised in Australia. The distribution of altered intimate images or altered intimate videos... And so I had to petition, meet with my politicians in my area. I wrote a number of articles. I spoke to the media and I was involved in the law reform in Australia in a number of jurisdictions in in Western Australia and New South Wales and I ended up being involved in two press conferences with the Attorney Generals of each state at the announcement of the law that was criminalising this abuse.
2: Today, in part because of Noelle's activism, it is illegal in Australia to distribute intimate images without consent, including intimate images and videos that have been altered. Although it doesn't encompass all malicious synthetic media, Noelle has made a solid start.
4: Chapter 6 Scissors and Glue
2: The videos depicting Noelle Martin were nowhere near as sophisticated as those made by the moon disaster team. They were more cheap fakes than deep fakes. And yet the porn didn't have to be perfect to be devastating. The same turns out to be true in politics. To understand the power of fakes, you have to understand human psychology. It turns out that people are pretty easy to fool.
8: John Kerry uh, was running for president of the U.S. His stance on the Vietnam War was controversial. Jane Fonda, of course, was a very controversial figure back then because of her anti-war stance
12: what are what have we become as a nation? If we call the men heroes that were used by the Pentagon to try to exterminate an entire people, what business have we to try to exterminate a people?
8: And somebody had created a photo of the two of them sharing a stage at an anti-war rally with the hopes of damaging the Kerry campaign. The photo was fake. Um, they had never shared a stage together. They just took two images, probably put it into some standard photo editing software like Photoshop, and just put a headline around it and out to the world it went, and I will tell you, I remember the most fascinating interview I've heard in a long time was right after the election, uh, Kerry, of course, lost, and a voter was being interviewed and asked um, how they voted, and he said he couldn't vote for Kerry, and the interview said, well, why not? And the gentleman said, I couldn't get that photo of John Kerry and Jane Fonda out of my head, and the interview said, well, you know that photo is fake, and the guy said, much to my surprise, yes, but I couldn't get it out of my mind. And this shows you the power of visual imagery. Like even after I tell you something is fake, it still had an impact on somebody. And I thought, wow, we're in a lot of trouble (laughs) because it is very, very hard to put the cat back into the bag. Once that content is out there, you can't undo it. So, So seeing is believing. Even above thinking? Yeah, that seems to be the rule. There is very good evidence from the social science literature that it's very, very difficult to correct the record after the mistakes are out there.
2: Law professor Danielle Citron also notes that humans tend to pass on information without thinking, which triggers what she calls... Information Cascades.
7: Information Cascades is a phenomenon where we have so much information overload that when someone sends us something, some information, and we trust that person, we pass it on. We don't even check its veracity. And so information can go viral fairly quickly because we're not terribly reflective, because we act on impulse.
2: Danielle says that information cascades have been given new life in the 21st century through social media.
7: Think about the 20th century phenomenon. Where do we get most of our information from? Trusted sources, trusted newspapers, trusted major couple of TV channels growing up. We only had a you know, we didn't have a million. Um, and they were adhering to journalistic ethics and commitments to truth and neutrality and notion that you can't publish something without checking it. Now we are publishing information that most people see. We're relying on our peers and our friends. Social media platforms are designed to tailor our information diet to what we want and to our pre-existing views. So we're locked in a digital echo chamber. We think everybody agrees with us. We pass on that information. We haven't checked the veracity. It goes wild, and we're especially likely to pass it on if it's negative and novel. Why is that? It's just like it's it's one of our weaknesses, we know how gossip goes like wildfire online. So like Hillary Clinton as running a a sex ring. That's crazy. Oh, my God. Eric, did you hear about that? I'll post it on Facebook. Eric, you pass it on. We just can't help ourselves. And it is much in the way that we love sweets and fats and pizza. You know, we indulge. Uh, we don't think. Now, in some sense,
2: this phenomenon is an old phenomenon, right? There's the famous... Observation by Mark Twain about how a lie gets halfway around the world before the truth gets its pants on.
7: Yeah, the truth is still in the bedroom getting dressed, and we often will see the lie, but the rebuttal is not seen. It's often lost in the noise of the defamatory statements. That is not new, but what is new is a number of things about our information ecosystem are are force multipliers.
4: Chapter 7. Truth Decay.
2: Many experts are worried that the rapid advances in making fakes, combined with a catalyst of information cascades, will undermine democracy. The biggest concerns have focused on elections.
10: Globally, we are looking at highly polarized situations uh, where this kind of manipulated media can be used as a weapon.
2: One of the main reasons Francesca and Halsey made their Nixon deepfake was to spread awareness about the risks of misinformation campaigns before the 2020 U.S. presidential election. Similarly, a group showcased the power of deepfakes by making videos in the run-up to the U.K. parliamentary election, showing the two bitter rivals, Boris Johnson and Jeremy Corbyn, each endorsing the other. I
5: wish to rise above this divide and endorse my worthy opponent, the Right Honourable Jeremy Corbyn, to be Prime Minister of our United Kingdom. Back Boris Johnson to continue as our Prime Minister. But you know what? Don't listen to me. I think I may be one of the thousands of deep fakes on the internet using powerful technologies to tell stories that aren't true.
10: So this just kind of indicates how candidates and political figures can be misrepresented. And you just need to feed them into, uh, you know, people's social media feeds for them to be seeing this at times when the stakes are pretty high.
2: So far, we haven't yet seen sophisticated deep fakes in US or UK politics. That might be Because fakes will be most effective if they're timed for maximum chaos. Say, close to Election Day, when newsrooms won't have the time to investigate and debunk them. But another reason might be that cheap fakes made with basic video editing software are actually pretty effective. Remember the video that surfaced of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, in which she appeared intoxicated and confused?
7: We want to give this president the opportunity do something historic for our country.
2: Both President Trump and Rudy Giuliani shared the video as fact on Twitter. The video was just a cheap fake, just slowed down Pelosi's speech to make her seem incompetent. But maybe elections won't be the biggest targets. Some people worry that deep fakes could be weaponized to foment international conflict. Berkeley professor Hani Farid has been working with the U.S. government's media forensics program to address this issue.
8: DARPA, um, the Defense Department's uh, research arm, has been pouring a lot of money over the last five years into this program. They are very concerned about how this technology can be a a threat to national security, um, and also how, when we get images and videos from around the world in areas of conflict, do we know if they're real or not? Is this really an image of a U.S. soldier who has been uh, taken hostage? How do we know? So what do you see as some of the worst-case scenarios? Here's the things that keep me up at night, right? Uh, A video of Donald Trump saying, I've launched nuclear weapons against Iran. And before anybody gets around to figuring out whether this is real or not, we have a global nuclear meltdown. And here's the thing. I don't think that that's likely. But I also don't think that the probability of that is zero. And that should worry us. Because while it's not likely, the consequences are spectacularly bad.
7: Lawyer Danielle Citron worries about an even more plausible scenario. Imagine a deep fake of a well-known American general burning a Quran. And it is timed at a very tense moment in a particular most, you know, um country whether it's Afghanistan, it could then lead to physical violence.
2: And and you think this could be made no general, no Quran actually used in the video, just right. programmed.
7: You can use the technology to mine existing photographs, kind of easy, especially with someone like, take Jim Mattis, when he was our defense secretary, Jim Mattis, you know, actually taking a Quran and ripping it in half and say, all Muslims should die. Uh, Imagine the the chaos in diplomacy, the chaos of our soldiers abroad in, in Muslim countries. It would be inciting violence without question.
2: Well, we haven't yet seen spectacular fake videos used to disrupt elections or create international chaos, we have seen increasingly sophisticated attacks on public policymaking.
10: So we've got an example in 2017 where the FCC solicited public comment on the proposal to repeal net neutrality.
2: Net neutrality is the principle that Internet service providers should be a neutral public utility. They shouldn't discriminate between websites, say slowing down Netflix streaming, to encourage you to purchase a different online video service. As President Barack Obama described in 2014,
5: There are no gatekeepers deciding which sites you get to access. There are no toll roads on the information superhighway.
2: Federal communications policy had long supported net neutrality. But in 2017, The Trump administration favored repealing the policy.
10: There were 22 million comments uh, that the FCC received, but 96 percent of those were actually fake. And the interesting thing is the real comments were opposed to repeal, whereas the fake comments were in favor.
2: A Wall Street Journal investigation exposed that the fake public comments were generated by bots, it found similar problems with public comments about payday lending. The bots varied their comments in a combinatorial fashion so that the content wasn't identical. With a little sleuthing, though, you could see that they were generated by computers. But with the technology increasingly able to generate completely original writing, like OpenAI's program that wrote the story about unicorns in the Andes, it's going to become hard to spot the fakes.
10: So there was this Harvard student, Max Weiss, who used GPT-2 to kind of demonstrate this. And I went on his site yesterday and he's got this little test where you need to decide whether a comment is real or fake. Um, So you go on and you read it and you decide whether it's been written by a bot or by a human. Um, So I did this. And the ones that seemed to be, you know, really well written and quite narrative and discursive, generally I was picking them as human. I was wrong almost all the time. It was amazing and alarming.
2: (laughs) In our democracy, public comments have been an important way in which citizens can make their voices heard. But now it's becoming easy to drown out those voices with millions of fake opinions. now The downfall of truth likely won't come with a bang, but a whimper. A slow, steady erosion that some call truth decay.
8: If you can't believe anything you read or hear or see anymore, I don't know how you have a democracy. Eh? Um, I don't know, frankly, how we have civilized society if everybody's going to live in an echo chamber believing their own version of events. How do we have a dialogue if we can't agree on basic facts?
2: In the end... The most insidious impact of deepfakes may not be the deepfake content itself, but the ability to claim that real content is fake. It's something that Danielle Citron refers to as the liar's dividend.
7: The liar's dividend is that the more you educate people about the phenomenon of deepfakes, the more the wrongdoer can disclaim reality. Think about what President Trump did with the Access Hollywood tape.
2: You know, I'm automatically attracted to beautiful. I just start kissing them. It's like a magnet. You just kiss. I don't even know what. And when you're a star, they let you do it. You can do anything.
0: Whatever
2: you want. Grab them by the (laughs) pussy. I
0: can do anything.
2: Initially, Trump apologized for the remarks. Anyone who knows me knows these words don't reflect who I am. I said it, I was wrong, and I apologize. But in 2017... A year after his initial apology, and with the idea of deep fake content starting to gain attention, Trump changed
7: his tune. Upon reflection, he said, they're not real. That wasn't me. I don't think that was my voice. That's the liar's dividend in practice. Yeah.
2: The Trump comment about Access Hollywood was remarkable. because It was, it was, was slightly right? more subtle than that. He said, mm. I'm not sure that was me. I, right.
7: Well, that's the corrosive gaslighting. Right.
4: Chapter 8, A Life Stored in the Cloud.
2: Deepfakes have the potential to devastate individuals and harm society. The question is, can we stop them from spreading before they get out of control? To do so, we'd need reliable ways to spot deepfakes.
8: So the good news is there are still artifacts in the synthesized content, whether those are images, audio, or video, that we as the experts can tell apart. So when, for example, the New York Times wants to run a story with a video, we can help them validate it. What are the real sophisticated
2: experts looking
8: for? Yeah. So the the eyes are really wonderful forensically because they reflect back to you um what is in the scene. So I'm sitting now right now in a studio. There's maybe about a dozen or so lights around me, and you can see this very complex set of reflections in my eyes. So we can analyze fairly complex lighting patterns, for example, to determine if this is one person's head spliced onto another person's body or if the two people standing next to each other were digitally inserted from another photograph. I could spend another hour telling you about the many different forensic techniques that we've developed. There's no silver bullet here. It really is a sort of a time consuming and deliberate and thoughtful and it requires many, many tools. Um, and it requires people with a fair amount of skill to do this.
2: Honey Freed also has quite a few detection techniques that he won't speak about publicly for fear that deepfake creators will learn how to beat his tests.
8: I don't create a GitHub repository and give my code to all my adversaries. I don't have just one forensic techniques. I have a couple dozen of them. So that means you, as the person creating this now, have to go back and implement 10, 20 different techniques. And you have to do it just perfectly. And that makes the landscape a little bit more tricky for you to manage.
2: As technology makes it easier to create deep fakes, a big problem will be the sheer amount of content to
8: review. So the average person can download software repositories, and so it's getting to the point now where where the average person can just run these as if they're running any standard piece of software. There's also websites that have propped up where you can pay them 20 bucks, and you tell them, please put this person's face into this person's video, and they will do that for you. And so it doesn't take a lot to get access to these tools. Now... I will say that the output of those are not quite as good as what we can create inside the lab, and you just know what the trend is. You just know it's going to get better and cheaper and faster and easier to use.
2: Detecting fakes will be a never-ending cat-and-mouse game. Remember how generative adversarial networks, or GANs, are built by training a fake generator to outsmart a detector. Well, as detectors get better, fake generators will be trained to keep pace. Still, detectives like Hani and platforms like Facebook are working to develop automated ways to spot deepfakes rapidly and reliably. That's important because more than 500 additional hours of video are being uploaded to YouTube every minute.
8: I don't mean to sound defeatist about this, but I'm going to lose this war. I know this because it's always gonna be easier to create content than it is to detect it. But um, here's where I will win. I will take it out of the hands of the average person. Um, So think about, for example, the creation of counterfeit currency. With the latest innovations uh, brought on by the Treasury Department, it is hard for the average person to take their inkjet printer and create compelling fake currency. And I think that's going to be the same trend here, is that if you're using some off-the-shelf tool, if you're paying somebody on a website, we're going to find you and we're going to find you quickly. But if you are a dedicated, highly skilled, you have the time and the effort to create it, we are going to have to work really hard to detect those.
2: Given the challenges of detecting fake content... Some people envision a different kind of technofix. They propose developing airtight ways for content creators to mark their own original video as real. That way, we could instantly recognize an altered version if it wasn't identical.
8: Now, there's ways of authenticating at the point of recording, and these are what are called control capture systems. So here's the idea. You use a special app on your mobile device that at the point of capture... It cryptographically signs the image, the video, or the audio. It puts that signature onto the blockchain. And the only thing you have to know about the blockchain is that it is an immutable distributed ledger, which means that that signature is essentially impossible to manipulate. And now, all of that happened at the point of recording. Um, If I was running a campaign today and I was worried about my candidate's likeness being misused, Absolutely every public event that they were at, I would record with a control capture system and I'd be able to prove what they actually said or did at any point in the future.
2: So this approach would shift the burden of authentication to the people creating the videos rather than publishers or consumers. Law professor Danielle Citrin has explored how this solution could quickly
7: become dystopian we might see the emergence of an essentially an audit trail of everything you do and say all of the time.
2: Danielle refers to the business model as immutable life logs in the cloud.
7: In a way, we sort of have already seen it. There are health plans that if you wear a Fitbit all the time and you let yourself be monitored, it lowers your your health insurance rates. But you can see how if the incentives are there in the market to self-surveil, whether it's for health insurance, life insurance, Uh, car insurance. We're going to see the unraveling of privacy by ourselves. You know, corporations may very well, because the CEO is so valuable, they may say, you've got to have a log, an immutable audit trail of everything you do and say. So when that deep fake comes up the night before the IPO, you can say, look, the CEO wasn't taking the bribe, wasn't having sex with a prostitute. um, And so we have proof.
12: Because we, we have a We have an audit log. trail.
7: We have a log. So when you we say were log. Imagining, We were imagining a business model that hasn't quite come up, but we have gotten a number of um, requests from insurance companies as well as companies to say we're interested in this idea.
2: So how much has to be in that log? Does this have to be a whole video of your life?
7: That is a great question, one that terrifies us. So it may be that you're logging geolocation, you're logging videos. You see people talking and who they're interacting with, and that might be good enough to prevent the mischief that would hijack the IPo.
2: Just your whole life online, yes, stored securely somewhere in the cloud,
7: protected in the cloud. It is at least for a privacy scholar, there are so many reasons why we ought to have privacy that aren't about hiding things. It's about creating spaces and managing boundaries around ourselves and our intimates and our loved ones. So I worry that if we entirely unravel privacy, A, in the wrong hands is very dangerous, right? B, it changes how we think about ourselves and humanity.
4: Chapter 9, Section 230.
2: So techno fixes are complicated. What about passing laws to Ban deep fakes, or at least deep fakes that don't disclose
7: they're fake. So the video and audio is speech. In our First Amendment doctrine, is very much a protective of free speech. And the Supreme Court has explained that lies, just lies themselves, without harm, is protected speech. When lies cause certain kinds of harm, we can regulate it: defamation of private people, threats, incitement, uh, fraud, impersonation of government officials. What about lies concerning public figures like politicians?
2: California and Texas, for instance, recently passed laws making it illegal to publish deep fakes of a candidate in the weeks leading up to an election. It's not clear yet whether the laws will pass constitutional muster.
7: So you're saying in in an American context,
2: we are just not going to be able to outlaw deep fakes.
7: Yeah, we can't have a flat ban. And I don't think we should. It would fail on doctrinal grounds, but ultimately it would prevent the positive uses. Interestingly,
2: in January 2020, China, which has no First Amendment protecting free speech, promulgated regulations banning deep fakes. The use of AI or virtuality now needs to be clearly marked in a prominent manner, and the failure to do so is considered a criminal offense. To explore other options for the U.S., I went to speak with a public policy expert.
9: My name is Joan Donovan, and I work at Harvard Kennedy Shorenstein Center, where I lead a team of researchers looking at media manipulation and disinformation campaigns.
2: Joan is head of the Technology and Social Change Research Project, and her staff studies how social media gives rise to hoaxes and scams. Her team is particularly interested in precisely how misinformation spreads across the internet.
9: Ultimately, underneath all of this is the distribution mechanism, which is social media and platforms. And platforms have to rethink the openness of their design because that has now become a territory for
2: information warfare. In early 2020, Facebook announced a major policy change about synthesized content.
9: Facebook pre-issued policies now on deepfakes saying that if it is an AI-generated video and it's misleading in some other contextual way, then they will remove it.
2: Interestingly, Facebook banned the Moon Disaster team's Nixon video, even though it was made for educational purposes, but didn't remove the slowed-down version of Nancy Pelosi, which was made to mislead the public. Why? Because the Pelosi video wasn't created with artificial intelligence. For now, Facebook is choosing to target deep fakes, but not cheap fakes. One way to push platforms to take a stronger stance might be to remove some of the legal protections that they currently enjoy. Under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, passed in 1996, platforms aren't legally liable for content posted by its users. The fact that platforms have no responsibility for the content they host has an upside. It's led to the massive diversity of online content we enjoy today. But it also allows a dangerous escalation of fake news. Is it time to change Section 230? To create incentives for platforms to police false content? I asked the former head of a major platform, LinkedIn co-founder Reid Hoffman.
0: For example, let's take... You know, my view of what the response to the Christchurch shooting should be is to say, well, we want you to solve not having uh, terrorism murder or murders displayed to people. So we're simply going to do a fine of $10,000 per view.
2: Two shootings occurred at mosques in Christchurch, New Zealand in March 2019. Graphic videos of the event were soon posted online.
0: Five people saw it, and it's $50,000. But if you, if you becomes a meme and a million people see it, <laughs> that's right. $10 billion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what we're really trying to do is get you to say, let's make sure that the meme never happens. Okay. So that's a governance mechanism yeah. there is yes.
2: you find the channel, the platform yes. based on number of views would be yeah. a very general way to say, now you guys have to solve. This. Now you solve, it. you figure it out. What about other solutions?
9: If we are to make regulation, it should be about the amount of staff in proportion to the amount of users so that they can get a handle on the content.
2: But can they be fast enough? Maybe the viral spread should be slowed down enough to allow them to moderate. Let's put it this way. The stock market Mm -hmm. has certain... Governors built in, when there's massive changes in a stock price, Mm -hmm. there are decelerators that kick in, Mm brakes that kick in. Mm -hmm. Should the platforms have brakes that kick in before something can go fully viral?
9: So in terms of deceleration, there are things that they do already that accelerate the process that they need to think differently about, especially when it comes to something turning into a trending topic. So there needs to be an intervening moment before things get to the homepage and get to trending where there is a content review.
2: So much to say here, but I want to think particularly about listeners who are in their 20s and 30s and are very tech savvy. They're going to be part of the solution here. What would you say to them about what they can do?
9: I think it's important that younger people advocate for the internet that they want we have to fight for it we have to ask for different things and that kind of agitation can come in the form of posting on the platform writing letters joining groups like fight for the future and trying to work on getting platforms to do better and to advocate for the kind of content that you want to see more of The important thing is that our society is shaped by these platforms. And so we're not going to do away with them. But we don't have to
4: make do with them either. Conclusion. Choose your planet.
2: So there you have it, stewards of the brave new planet. Synthetic media or deep fakes... People have been manipulating content for more than a hundred years, but recent advances in AI have taken it to a whole new level of verisimilitude. The technology could transform movies and television, favorite actors from years past starring in new narratives, along with actors who never existed, patients regaining the ability to speak in their own voices, personalized stories created on demand for any child around the globe, matching their interests, written in their dialect, representing their communities. But there's also great potential for harm. The ability to cast anyone in a pornographic video. Weaponized media dropping days before an election or provoking international conflicts. Are we gonna be able to tell fact from fiction? Will truth survive? And what does it mean for our democracy? Better fake detection may help but it'll be hard for it to keep up. And logging our lives in blockchain to protect against misrepresentation doesn't sound like an attractive idea. Outright bans on deepfakes are being tried in some countries, but they're tricky in the U.S., given our constitutional protections for free speech. Maybe the best solution is to put the liability on platforms like Facebook and YouTube, if we can. Joan Donovan's right. To get the future you want, you're going to have to fight for it. You don't have to be an expert and you don't have to do it alone. When enough people get engaged, we make wise choices. Deep fakes are a problem that everyone can engage with. Brainstorm with your friends about what should be done. Use social media. Tweet at your elected representatives to ask if they're working on laws like in California and Texas. And... If you work for a tech company, ask yourself and your colleagues if you're doing enough. You can find lots of resources and ideas at our website, bravenewplanet.org. It's time to choose our planet. The future is up to us. Brave New Planet is a co-production of the Broad Institute of MIT and Harvard, Pushkin Industries, and the Boston Globe with support from the Alfred P. Sloan Foundation. Our show is produced by Rebecca Lee Douglas with Mary Dew. Theme song composed by Ned Porter. Mastering and sound design by James Garver. Fact-checking by Joseph Fridman, Anna Stitt and Ian Chant. Special thanks to Christine Heenan and Rachel Roberts at Clarendon Communications, to Lee McGuire, Kristen Zarelli, and Justine Levin-Allerhand at the Broad, to Mia Lobel and Heather Fain at Pushkin, and to Eli and E.D. Broad, who made the Broad Institute possible. This is Brave New Planet. I'm Eric Lander.